0: Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. I'm Dan Martin, a special effects artist and occasional audio man, voice. Um, And I'm joined today, as I always am, by my co-host, Sam
1: Ashurst. And I'm a screenwriter, a director, and I write about film and TV for a bunch of different places. And I am very excited to be talking about Donnie Darko today. But
0: before we do that... Done. why don't you explain the structure of this show? The structure of the show. For those joining us on this, are, what is this, four now? Fourth podcast? Yeah. Fourth podcast, right. So here we go, number four. Um, although there is a secret extra podcast at the beginning that <laughs> no one except the people that Arrow have that. heard. Yes. Maybe one day. We might reuse that one day. <laughs> the format... Yeah, there's a sudden drop in quality. <laughs> way well, it's because I'm on holiday. <laughs> uh, the format is... Uh, Every fortnight, uh, every two weeks for our American listeners, Sam and I will take a look into the Arrow catalogue and choose a film either from the archives or an upcoming release, uh, and we'll, we'll watch that, and then we'll report to you on it.
1: Yeah, and we'll also uh, give some recommendations based on that film, uh, and we'll also give recommendations based on the films we've watched over the past couple of weeks, because we watch a lot of films and we'd like to recommend some weird ones to you. Yeah. Uh, but before we do that, why don't you tell them about the plot of Donnie Darko, Dan?
0: I can do that. You all know who Jake Gillenhall is, right? Now imagine if he was a tiny child all the way back in the past, um, and he was sad about some things, and then <laughs> he narrowly escaped death because he was helped by a large rabbit who was potentially the product of some antidepressant medication his family have put him on. Uh, Now, owing his life to the rabbit, he undertakes a series of increasingly criminal tasks um, at the rabbit's behest, um, which sent him into a paradox spiral. Um, So that's as far as I'll go now, but do bear in mind, I can't imagine any of you haven't watched Donnie Darko, but we will be full-on talking about the ending later in the podcast and um, if you haven't seen it, it really is worth seeing it before you have it spoiled by someone else, if you've managed to avoid that so far, because it is all about the journey, this
1: yeah, one.
0: Yeah, um,
1: should we Should we start by talking about the opening scene?
0: Well, I think the opening scene and the opening music as well. Yeah, absolutely, because
1: um, I think this is potentially the most intriguing opening scene i mean we always talk about the opening scene but this is the most intriguing one we've done so far um it sort of begins with a steady cam shot um which is quite beautiful um it's sort of the the camera sort of moves down the road onto donny who's uh ostensibly it looks like he's been knocked off his bike um, he's lying in the road um and he kind of sits up as the the camera moves in and it sort of moves round um, to sort of see him in profile. And then we get a wide of the, um, the landscape and he stands up into shot and laughs. Um, and it's a, a really sort of in- intriguing way to open your film. Um, and apparently it was the first thing that Richard Kelly shot on the film. Um, and he was so nervous because um, he was very young when he made this. He was so nervous that he called action instead of cut at the end of it <laughs> um, and they were all very excited about the shot because it is beautiful um, but then when they went to watch the dailies um, there was kind of a bit of a rogue shudder um, the camera was moving unexpectedly so they had to go back and do it again um, but thankfully what they've got is lovely yeah,
0: it's right? really nice yeah it's really beautiful and in the the whole opening sequence so that little tiny bit at the beginning and then moving into what sort of the credit role uh, but also a more sort of more world building when Donnie's cycling through his neighborhood and Killing Moon comes up which is just brilliant yeah Um, amazing bit of music really nicely mixed in Um, and it's following him through the through the neighborhood on his bike and you get to see his parents playing in the yard and yeah, it's his
1: dad and his um and his sister in the yard, isn't it? Um he's sort of blowing, blowing leaves. leaves and yeah, he, he sort of gets her with the leaf blower. Um what I find really interesting about that, that sequence is um, at that point it could be a horror film, like a straight horror film. Um it's the sort of Suburbia of Halloween, and you actually Donny moves past a, a sign for like a, a Halloween event. Yeah, um, and obviously Killing Moon, that could be a, a, yeah. a horror soundtrack choice.
0: But obviously, the um, the Halloween event is a signpost for the fact that the end of the movie that will all happen at that event as exactly. well. Exactly.
1: Yeah, because there's a, a countdown sort of throughout the film leading to. Halloween. Um, and I mean, it's also
0: a bit of a clue, isn't it? Because when Frank, the big rabbit, turns up, you don't necessarily think, oh, well, he's wearing his Halloween costume. That must be associated with the Halloween event. But obviously, eventually that is revealed. So Kelly's been signposting stuff, as he does a lot throughout the film. Absolutely. He's I mean really it, deft.
1: Yeah, there's even another signpost in that sequence where, um, and it's so tied to the soundtrack, um, it's where there's the line, um, killing time in the song, um, and you see frank frank 's car drive past Donnie at yeah. that, that exact moment, um, which obviously ties into the end of the film quite significantly um, and it 's so sort of the music's so tied to that opening it 's kind of astonishing that the director 's cut changes the music,
0: yeah, well, I think it was you that told me that that was actually a second choice song wasn 't it and it wasn 't originally the what he wanted to use, so he when he did the director's cut, he wasn't able to let go of his initial thoughts mm. and realise that he'd stumbled into nigh-perfection.
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, there, there was a little bit of shifting around. So um, in the in the director's cut, Killing Moon goes and it's replaced by Never Tear Us Apart by In Excess. Um, and then... Killing Moon replaces Under the Milky Way by the church, um, which is in the party, and then Under the Milky Way can be heard um, during a car scene. So they had to reshuffle stuff um, to sort of give Kelly his wish, and I wish they hadn't because, um, like, as someone who's watched this film over and over again, like, it was a really disconcerting experience to watch it with different music in the director's cut.
0: Do you feel that it's. What I would say from that, and I would—I'll say I haven't seen the director's cut. I let Sam take that bullet. Um, <laughs> but I—I um, I would assume that whoever did the sound mix and the and the audio mix, like the you know the the sound design for this film, incorporating both the soundtrack and the uh, and the narrative audio, I suspect they placed that song in that way when they were you know the editor and then working together when they knew what they weren't going, that they weren't going to be able to use Never Tears Apart which actually contextually is quite a good choice and I can see why Kelly would choose You it. mean Killing Moon? No no no, I can, oh, see no why I can see why Never Tears Apart would, would be a choice because it's about him choosing not to separate his family by sacrificing himself in so- the end but but then uh, when they had yeah. when they had Killing Moon sort of inflicted upon them, yeah. which is not a fair use because it's an amazing choice. But when they couldn't get Never Tear Us Apart, I suspect it wasn't Kelly who made the choice to line it up like that. It was someone else who could see past it. Normally, I'll give that credit to the director, or I'll just assume it was the director. Mm-hmm. But given that he was so willing to ditch that and go back to his original idea, I feel that he had a strength in his convictions, albeit maybe misplaced. That meant that indicates he didn't make that choice. The the sound designer and the editor, or, or both of them in collaboration, said, Oh my goodness, look at this, what a lovely moment. Kelly would say, Oh, he should drive, he should cycle past Frank. That's a lovely telegraphing for later in the film. Mm-hmm. But then when they're putting it together, and as often happens, oh, these happy little accidents yeah, yeah. occur, but someone went, Oh, look, if we just move that ten frames or whatever, then the line, Killing Moon, comes in exactly as Frank's car comes into shot. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it feels almost 100 percent like an editing yeah. choice. Um, but you know, it, it's just it was such a shame to lose it in the director's cut.
0: I just wonder um, if he even realised ever if it was just something the director did and Kelly never even noticed just something the editor did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe like if um, they were cutting. Well, but except he would have cut to never Tear Us apart as a temp track because you yeah. cut to your wish list. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, who knows?
1: Who knows? But um, it's a it's a cool moment in the theatrical cut. Um, now, Donnie Darko was uh, Kelly's first script, um, which he describes as being 23 years in the making. Um, he wrote it when he was 23 years old, and the first draft was 160 pages long. Wow.: <laughs> Yeah, so um, I, would, I would love to read that, and um, surely that's floating around somewhere. Well, you know, in the
0: depth of the Internet.
1: Possibly, possibly. And uh, Kelly said that it wasn't just sort of... You, there's clearly sort of cinematic influences in the film, but um, there's also a lot of literary influences as well, um, including uh, Philip K. Dick and Richard Matheson. Um.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of sort of pointed book reading in the film as well, isn't there? Like, they they use nice, bold, obvious, in-shot choices for the books that the characters are reading a lot of the time. They do, they like absolutely it do. It is being read at the beginning, Who's reading it, I can't remember. It's Donny's uh, mum. It's, it's, it's uh, Donny's mum. Yeah. yeah, which is about a town where something is wrong, and there's a dark force uh, with makes. You know, I'm, I'm, this is easier for me because they're redoing some of it at the moment in the trailers <laughs> for the new one. But yeah, it's about um, it's about a sort of an unpleasant darkness uh, around a, a small town, a suburban mm-hmm. town, which is very much present in this. Although the darkness ten turns out to be. Uh, another character that Donnie exposes unmasks in the film rather than... Being directly related to him—that's
1: well. right—and yeah—and there's also sort of um, the the sense of a countdown in it as well. The fact that um, it reappears every 27 years—it's 27, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, you've got the countdown in Don like a dialogue. literal
0: countdown on it, screen, exactly.
1: Yeah. And it kind of also ties into something that we'll go more into in extra features because we've got a lovely tweet about this, but um, just that mixture of 80s nostalgia and. Stephen King um, kind of references and homages um, has certainly become more popular as time has gone on. Like, you know, Stranger yeah. Things, you know. Yeah, he referred.
0: was right at the front of, 80, of the 80s resurgence, really, wasn't he, I guess. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. And um, whereas with Stranger Things, the, the creators of that actually grew up in the 90s. So it's kind of a, a nostalgia for stuff that they enjoyed rather than stuff they grew up with. Um, in Donnie Darko you can certainly feel that this is stuff that Kelly's lived with well yeah um, it definitely feels less caricature than um,
0: like yeah like caricatures I was thinking looking for a better word but there isn't one Stranger Things is a caricature of the 80s whereas this is like a a more realistic seating
1: absolutely and um, yeah he directed it when he was 24 25 bastards (laughs) bastards <laughs> um and uh, so he actually you know he did grow up in the 80s unlike the stranger things guys and so all of these memories would have been sort of really fresh for him
0: well i mean i guess that kind of is possibly why it speaks to us because calculating it he's actually not more than a couple of years older than us so it like i see that it would appeal to me because my memory of the 80s is actually pretty similar to his like yeah so he was born in what's so like 76 77 i was born in 79 you were born in 79 nine, you? i was born in 78, 78. so um
1: yeah, yeah I, I was sort of roughly the same age as he was when he directed it when i watched it if that makes sense <laughs> uh, uh unlike him i was working in a comic book shop at that time and um, well, since then you've directed the same number of good films <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks dan um <laughs> But yeah, um, back then I was kind of miserable uh, working in a comic book shop. Not not sure where my life was going. Um, I did, though, have an amazing girlfriend at the time, <laughs> um, <laughs> Lucy, uh, the greatest girlfriend of them all. Um, and I
0: think maybe a different podcast. <laughs> so
1: but um, for you, <laughs> but uh, no. Uh, <laughs> It's because of Lucy that I saw Donnie Darko, which is uh, part of what makes her so great. Um, And it's because of Lucy that I went to Fright Fest for the first time, um, because she was really sort of interested in Donnie Darko, because she was um, very into sort of the indie emo scene in the States at the time. And um, so uh, we bought tickets to Fright Fest specifically to see Donnie Darko, and uh, it blew us away, blew me away.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking. I I don't have any mem- memory of seeing it at Fright Fest, but I definitely went to every film at that Fright Fest, oh, that's and that was before they had so many screens that you could miss things. Yeah, that was in Prince Charles' days, and yeah. it was the third Fright Fest, and I went to two, three, four, five, and six with oh, man. full tickets. And saw everything they showed. I'm, I'm assuming you saw the eye. Yeah.
1: So we would have been in the same.
0: Well, we would house. have been in the same cinema, the same cinema for every single one of those films because <laughs> it was the Prince Charles when it had one screen. Yeah. So, um,
1: yeah, that's 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 very cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of um, yeah. I kind of fell in love with Right Fest at that point, and um, it sort of was was in the bubble of um, obscurity with Donny Zarco. Um, in fact, I remember um, I went for a job interview at a um, sort of cool hipster video shop, um, where part of the job involved recommending films <laughs> to how things have changed. Um, where uh, yeah, part of the job involved recommending things. You're still to kind of doing that literally right now. That that is that's. Oh, that's what you meant. That's, that's, okay, that's the sorry. Joke. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll never. Like, I've got such a vivid memory of that interview because. Um, I didn't get the job, um, partly because they asked me, like, what's the best, like, cult film you've seen recently? And I said Donnie Darko. And they looked at me completely blankly and asked, you know, what's that? And I was like, oh, well, you know, it's about this, uh, this depressed kid who sees a rabbit, who tells him to set fire to a building and... I should just leave now, shouldn't I, because um, you're a, looking quite upset. That's
0: a peculiar and ballsy move when you're interviewing people about film to say, to like nowadays, you don't even find people who acknowledge they haven't seen a film, <laughs> <laughs> let, let alone shade you for having seen something they have. Yeah. Having, having seen something they haven't.
1: I, I think they, they felt that um, it wasn't sort of, with a name like Donnie Darko, and and I think that's kind of, Maybe part of the problem it had in the states. I mean, it had a lot of problems on its release in the states that sort of held it back and stopped it from becoming the the hit it should have been. Um, it's only sort of in the UK that it became. Quite well
0: I guess epic. yeah, we benefited from the slow crawl, so it didn't come out here until enough people had seen it who appreciated it mm. to push it in another territory, whereas in America it had done its floundering by that point
1: yeah and I think part of it is like the marketing campaign in the UK was excellent I sort of remember it involved sort of um, graffiti like um, homaging the film and sort of referencing the film and it was kind of like quite a cool campaign that kind of used the internet in quite an interesting way like this wasn't too long after the Blair Witch Project so people were still which blew the doors off how you market a film exactly so um, yeah and I have to confess my own sort of cult film fan sin here, which is that I kind of went off it a bit when it became a big hit. Like when, like Mad World with Christmas well, number one. Well, you know, one.
0: like, I, okay, I'm going to defend you here. I, <laughs> there's, and this is so, this doesn't exist anymore with the internet. But, although actually, no, it does, but you have to really dig deep. But there was such an added excitement of being able to recommend a film to someone. Mm. that they'd never even heard of, but that had this kind of production value. Nowadays, if you're recommending a film to someone that they've never heard, it's like a 1935 black and white French noir or like a Hungarian ogre story. Like back in the back in the 90s, late 90s, early 1000s, you could recommend a film with incredible production values that no one had seen just because the internet wasn't up and running properly. So the two examples... Uh, of this that really have always stood by stood, like always stuck with me were Idle Hands mm-hmm. which I had an American disc of before it came out in this country and I must have watched dozens of times with people oh man you've got to see this you know come back from the pub on a Friday night mm. oh you got to check this out stick on Idle Hands um, and the first Final Destination mm. which I had on DVD before it came out in this country and the first time I watched it I watched it on my own in a flat I lived in above a tattoo parlour Um just open jawed with excitement at this this new horror gem mm. and uh, and a friend of mine rang the doorbell as the end credits started rolling and he was like hey Ed, hey Dan how you doing and I'm like yeah I'm really good I've just seen an amazing film and he's like oh yeah what was it and I'm like you know what let's watch it again <laughs> so I, I literally just restarted the film uh so the first time I watched Final Destination I watched it two times back to back
1: brilliant I love that um, we should probably before we start to wrap it up, we should probably talk about favourite scenes, um, as we always do. Dan, what is uh one of your favourite scenes in Donnie Darko? Uh
0: when the kids are discussing the flooding of the school, mm-hmm. uh one of the younger girls says <laughs> says, uh the boys' locker room was flooded and full of feces, and a younger girl says, What a feces and uh, and she says baby mice and the little girl goes oh <laughs> <Yeah>, it's really <laughs> that, that is really that good. is audio perfect in my mind and has been since the first time i saw it i just love that
1: <laughs> yeah there's a lot of uh, stuff like that there's a really um great um swearing scene around the dinner table um which Richard Kelly says isn't based on his own family dynamic because <laughs> he would never be allowed to swear like that at the dinner table. But um, I think we're going to cut to a clip of that now. So uh, have a little listen. Okay. You want to tell mom and dad why you stopped taking your medication? You're such a fuckass. What? <laughs> <laughs> Please. Did you just call me a fuckass, Yay. Elizabeth, Yay. that's enough. You can go suck a fuck. Oh,
0: please Don't tell me, Elizabeth. How exactly does one suck a fuck? <laughs> you want me to tell you? Please tell we me. We
1: will not have this at the dinner table. Stop.
0: Oh, <laughs> What's What the fuck, ass? <laughs> one of the things I love about that scene is the dad's reaction. Because all the way through, the dad, who's trying his hardest to be an authority figure, and I think you can hear it in the audio, is laughing when the children misbehave in these comic ways. And he's, it's like he's playing at being a grown-up. And it's really its really nice because Donnie's struggling so much with adolescence and becoming an adult. Uh, and the dad's kind of got this really nice kind of figured out bit. In fact, there's a bit later on when um, uh, Donny asks his mum... Uh, and I'm going to paraphrase heavily here Uh, something along the lines of uh, what's it like to be a to have a fuck up for a son Uh, and she just rests her head on her shoulder and says wonderful and it's a the the relationship between the families between the family is really nice like it's a really because normally and this isn't a horror it's a sci-fi but it has horror overtones and normally in horror the first thing a writer does is get rid of the family Mm. because that's how you put people in peril and this is all about him trying to protect his family it's all about him not wanting to disappoint... It starts with him rebelling and it becomes him not wanting to disappoint them and it ends up with him ultimately, spoiler alert, sacrificing his life to save them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I think, like, it really is... And I think this is why so many people connected to it. It's one of the best representations of adolescence I think I've ever seen on screen in terms of, like, how surreal and weird and depressing and out of place, and, you feel. exactly how isolated yeah. um, you know you know not everyone de- feels that de- way but definitely, definitely for did.
0: that era it was it was a kind of a fresh thing mm. and I, I think that a film like that hadn't come along for a while exactly yeah exactly and like, so it was kind of husium in its effect on the right. adolescent and, and, and recently post-adolescent audiences at the time. Well, that's the thing. It does have a really sort of John Hughes, it's like a mirror
1: universe John Hughes film. Yeah. Like a, I think it was shot in the same place as Ferris Bueller's Day is Off. it really? Yeah, so um, it's got that sort of location, that surrounding, but there's such a sort of darkness and depression, which I think is more resonant with people than sort of the the John version of reality yeah i just realized i haven't done my favorite scene very quickly um my i love the the sequence um the tears for fears head over heels um kind of shot that, that moves through the school and it kind of slows down and it ramps up um and uh, apparently that was one of the scenes that certain people wanted kelly to cut really they said it felt too much like a music video um And, um, another interesting behind the scenes fact is that Kelly wanted to do it as the whole thing. I think it's like five cuts, five shots, but he wanted to do the whole thing as one long unbroken shot. Um, and the very experienced DOP, um, who is the DOP? Stephen Poster. Um, who did uh, like Close Encounters and Blade Runner. Um, he was obviously older, much older than Richard Kelly and, and said to Kelly when he first met him, um, let's forget about the age. We're the same age on this movie. I'm not going to take over. I'm going to give you the movie you want. But at this point, um, when Kelly was talking about doing it in one unbroken shot um, and setting it to the music, um, the DOP um, handed him stopwatch and said okay go on you know let's do a rehearsal and Kelly <laughs> Ke- Kelly came out 20 minutes later and said yeah we're going to have to we're going to have to break this up it's a bit long <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so but yeah it's just such a beautiful beautiful sequence and it tells you so much about all the characters through pure visuals alone um so yeah
0: I, I felt like that, that sequence and this is no way to malign it because the film I'm about to compare it to I love mm-hmm. um I felt like it was almost like an emo version of the opening scene from Three O'Clock High. okay,
1: yeah. Which, yeah. which
0: is a quintessentially 80s film. Yeah. And so to take that and to put it into the muted colour palette and sad dialogue-free world of Donnie Darko felt like a nice love letter to the 80s.
1: Absolutely. And um, there's, there's, some, there's a sort of hour and a half, hour and 25-minute documentary on the Arrow disc that goes through the whole production, like scripting, then week by week of shooting. So it tells you what specifically what they shot when and uh, there's some really nice stuff in there and there's a there's a great bit in the the um tears for fears sequence where um the DOP um Stephen Poster talks about how he had trouble with light um lighting that scene and so he asked Jenna Malone um to sort of look up um to catch the light after she looks in the mirror he asked her to look up um and once you know that fact, um, it adds an extra layer of beauty to that moment because she absolutely nails it. It feels natural, and it feels like part of her character that she's looking to this guy almost yeah. for help. All um, the
0: yeah, all the extras are really good on the disc. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic set.
1: Well, should we, should we wrap that up there? Um, you wanted to talk about the end a bit, though, didn't you?
0: Well, no, not especially. I just wanted it not to be off limits. I didn't want mm. to... Like, I, we skirt between spoilery and non-spoilery, and I feel like we gave enough warning on this, but I just didn't want to not be able to acknowledge the ending because I feel so much of the quality of the film is because it all leads up to that ending, that to be able to talk about why it's good, we have to be able to acknowledge the end
1: yeah
0: no absolutely yeah, that's all it is I don't yeah. I don't need to yeah cool I don't, I don't yeah I don't need to actively discuss this <laughs> okay cool um oh well
1: let's let's do one last fact um apparently obviously it, it didn't set Sundance alight it was quite divisive um with sort of a lot of people hating it and a lot of people absolutely loving it um apparently there was a and a where one person said it was trash and um, doesn't follow any of the rules of filmmaking, and someone literally ran up behind them to say, "That's exactly why I like it." Um, so yeah, it <laughs> I was. I going to say they hit them. It was divisive, <laughs> um, but then apparently they screened it for Christopher Nolan um,
0: when maybe that's why he went to fright first that year. <laughs> <laughs> Well yeah. Is no. this going to be the Christopher Nolan at Frightfest podcast? <laughs> I think
1: so. But no, he didn't watch a, a, a um fright Frightfest. He had a, a private screening um and it was kind of his passion for it. Um he basically he, yeah, he said he wouldn't change anything. I think maybe like a font or something like that. But um
0: yeah, his passion for it. I like how Kelly in no way listens to him when he pumped out the director's cut. <laughs> Well, Nolan said he wouldn't change anything, but here's what I would change. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, <laughs> let's
1: let's move on to uh, recommendations based on this film. Dan, what have you got for us?
0: So my first recommendation is uh, not a TV series, but it's still Japanese animation. Um, it's a film called Paprika um, by uh, Satoshi Kon, uh, who directed uh, Perfect Blue, among other things. And it's a beautiful garishly colored psychedelic um movie it's not um it's not expressly time travel in fact actually it's probably got more to do with it's got more in common with inception than it does with donnie darko but it is about um like moving around through space and reality and Mm. time um it's absolutely fantastic um it's basically about um, like a machine that allows therapists to enter enter people's dreams gets stolen, uh, and so it, they have to like go in and get that back. But the depiction of those dreams is one of the the most it, it, because it's animated, it's completely unfettered, and they're able to go into places that live action cinema just can't. Um, but my emotional reaction to it is similar to to Donnie Darko. Very without nice. the eighties nostalgia,
1: very nice. And without making this the Christopher Nolan podcast, it was <laughs> a big influence on Inception. Was it? Um, was it
0: officially a it, big influence it, it, on Inception? I don't I know. It that. was
1: officially, but um, I mean, they're
0: super close.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's there's literal shots there. It's,
0: it's also much better than Inception and much much more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Um, it there's... doesn't do all the explaining and color coding of levels of dream that Inception does.
1: And um, weirdly, um, my first recommendation also reminds me of Christopher Nolan, um, if Christopher Nolan did Inception as his first film instead of following. Um, it's The Ghoul, um, which Arrow are releasing uh, a couple of weeks after this podcast, um, but I'm not doing it as a shill. Um, I watched <laughs> I watched it recently and uh I, I really loved it and it's, it's got great. it's got a kind of similar atmosphere to Donnie Darko and um yeah I obviously I'm not going to go into spoilers but um yeah um it's got a similar sort of tone and atmosphere uh very different films um but I really really recommend The Ghoul.
0: It's you know, uh, yeah I just want to say that I I wholeheartedly second that it's really good and it's got a really lovely roster of very good english talent in it as oh, well oh it really
1: does and do you see what i mean about
0: the donny Oh, absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. totally and well it's it's like not bleak in a off putting way, and mm. I will be later recommending a film that is bleak in an off putting <laughs> way. But this is there's like a sort of a, a cold, real world feel to it that is very comparable to Donnie Duncan. And I guess also
1: they've both got really sort of um, I don't want to say realistic, but really vivid depictions of depression, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, um, the darkness, the darkness, anyway. What's your next recommendation? So
0: my next recommendation is a film called The Navigator (parentheses a medieval oddity, uh, odyssey, oddity, odyssey, odyssey) uh, from 1988. It's a New Zealand film by Vincent Ward, who's probably best known for What Dreams May Come, and it is a bit gaudy, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, it's ostensibly and was marketed as a time travel movie, and you could kind of see it as a reverse. Um, Connecticut Yankee in the Court of King Arthur if you were to take it just like super face um, value-y it starts with a a young boy uh, suggesting an escape route uh, for a village who are worried about the approaching plague during the times of the Great Plague in Europe Um, and based on a series of like vivid waking dreams he's been having they agree to tunnel through the earth um, and they sort of appear in 1988 New Zealand, but it's significantly less literal than that. And a lot of it is, by the end of it, you question whether any of it really happened and how allegorical it, it was. Um, the, the old timey stuff is shot in really stark 35mm black and white and feels very much like Hard to Be a God, um, which is another not quite time travel, time travel movie, which is well worth checking out. Um, Ooh, sneaking an extra recommendation in there. I like it. I, I respect it. <laughs> Mister Three recommendations <laughs> last week. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So it's 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 really nice. And I'll for for want of sounding like a broken record, it's a little slow in the second act. But <laughs> it really like it, it. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's really nice, and it's well worth tracking down. Excellent. Um, my uh,
1: final recommendation based on the film is Imitation Girl, but specifically watching Imitation Girl at Frightfest. Um because they're not it's not too similar to Donnie Darko, other than you know it's sort of surreal and um really explores a central character's mental health in depth. Um but I feel like if there's a, a Sam and Lucy out there listening to this who are looking for something to go and see at Pride Fest? I think this might blow you away in a similar way that Donnie Darko blew me away in 2002. Um, it's a really interesting, experimental, challenging film. It reminded me more of sort of Always Shine or Under the Skin than Donnie Darko, but like I say, it's a similar sort of surreal experience.
0: Can you? I've not seen it. Can you give me a potted, like? Plot summary without spoiling it, or should I go in super blind?
1: Um, I'd say go in super blind. There are other films that I could compare it to that would give more of a sort of spoiler. Right. Um, but actually, to be honest, under the skin, that's kind of quite a big spoiler of what I mean, it's I, like.
0: I, I do feel that almost all films should be watched without any understanding of what they are, but I appreciate that people need to guide us a little bit. Yes, that's, <laughs> and, what, that's and, what we're doing. And there are companies out there with the best interest in you buying their products so yeah. good shall we good. move on to
1: recommendations based on what we've watched in the past couple of weeks dan
0: yes we will i've had an absolutely amazing couple of weeks it was my birthday last week and uh, i decided to watch at least one film at the cinema every night uh, throughout the week uh on wednesday i managed five films which was really nice um not all at the cinema not but... all of the cinema um but you know, I've got a projector. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty much all of the films I watch at the cinema. But um, yeah, so I've had a really good, uh, a really good choice. Um, I filled a, a massive gap in my um, in my repertoire, not repertoire, in my catalogue. What I've watched a massive gap in my whatever. Um, on Saturday, the BFI had a 35mm print of The Swimmer, um, which i'd never seen i was delighted to see on the big screen and to anyone out there who hasn't seen it absolutely go and check it out but lancaster is incredible in it um especially as i found out reading up about it afterwards uh that he basically couldn't swim before they shot the movie amazing <laughs> given how much of the film he spends in the water um yeah uh, it's absolutely incredible um But Lancaster, I think, described it as... Hang on a second, I've got this written down. Death of a salesman in swimming trunks. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which is a great description, but it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Little Bleak. But then, uh, for some reason, every film I watched in my weekend... My week of cinema trips was really bleak. Yeah. But yeah, if you get a chance to go and see it, I'm sure the BFI will put it on again. But if not, it's worth it's worth tracking down on the small screen as well.
1: Yeah, I, I went to that one as well, and as did uh, Mike Hewitt from Arrow. Um, and, Hello, Mike. And uh, we all came away from it um, kind of blown away, and it's I think it's stayed with all of us um, since. Okay, my first recommendation um, is going to be... Uh the Belco Experiment. Now I do understand that not everybody enjoyed this film. I think it's got like it's certainly rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. Um I'm more interested now. <laughs> and if you uh if you've seen um well it's basically the US Office meets Battle Royale. So um I can understand some people not being entirely happy that it wasn't completely original, but it is tons of fun. Um it's out on Blu-ray today and um I really do recommend it if, you know, you just want a really entertaining, violent, silly movie, um, which I do.
0: absolutely amazing fun. I haven't seen that. I'm definitely into that. Sam has the Blu-ray in front of him as we speak, so I'm going to be stealing that.
1: Yes, and uh, it's also got um, uh, one of the extras is, uh, if there are any Lee Hardcastle fans out there, he did um, a series of... um, promos for it and they're included on the disc. Oh and, amazing! Uh, great. And Lee's our friend. So yeah, um, lovely,
0: lovely Lee. Yeah.
1: Um what have you got next?
0: Um so next up is the Evil Within, um which I'm kind of considering the the screening of that was a present to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife and I were out for lunch with a film producer friend and he was raving about this movie um because he had seen it at i think maybe berlin anyway some some international festival uh, and he was saying we had to see it and it was getting a dvd release i think it comes out next month maybe uh in september but it is um but he was like oh it deserves the big screen it's incredible and so obviously it's a bit of a dick move for me to be saying it needs to be seen on the big screen because i don't think you can i think it's only small screen from here on out but um we put him in touch with uh, Cigarette Burns who organised a screening of it and the only day they could do it was on my birthday. So I actually got to go and see this on my actual birthday. Um, it's fantastic. It's um, it's directed by uh, Andrew Getty, the grandson of the Getty oil fortune. Uh, and he basically sunk his entire trust fund into it. He, It's another one like, um, uh, like Hard to Be a God where he spent years and years and years in post-production and then died before it was finished. But what you get, coming out of it. So its detractors will, and entirely fairly, say that large swathes of it are very badly directed, scripted and acted. But I... Maybe I'm just being over-sympathetic here, but I do feel like those scenes are um, deliberately stilted in the same way that the dialogue in Possession or Heart of Glass um, is stilted. Because it's shot rather bravely, maybe rather insensitively from the point of view of a, of a character who has suffered quite severe brain injury from a a car accident or an an unspecified accident, I think. Um, and so the world like ET is sort of filtered through his, his image, like Balaban's parents is, is from his perspective. So all of these like conversations that feel stilted and unnatural, um, could arguably be said to be because of his outlook. And, his nightmares, which are kind of the driving factor of the film, are absolutely 100% like Lynchian, Sphankmurian nightmare. And some of the most effective, like uncanny horror, like, you know, that stuff where just the images get under your skin and make you feel uncomfortable. Um, Some of the best examples of that that I've seen in the last like five, ten years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really worth a, a, a check out. But do be warned... The real world stuff is stilted and weird, and but in a not necessarily enjoyable way. I think justifiably. But. Well,
1: I, I can't wait to see it. Like I really, yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, and I'm going to throw you off here slightly, Dan, in that I'm only going to do one recommendation this week because look at the time. I'm going to throw straight. No, back no, there's to you. loads of stuff. I reckon we've got about five minutes. Nah, we got loads. All right. Well, in that case, super, super quickly. um, Second recommendation for this week from me is Shin Godzilla, which I went to see uh, as part of Dan's festival of cinema. (laughs) Um, And we saw it with, uh, we actually saw it with Cigarette Burns and um, another director, Ben Parker, um, who has made an amazing film called The Chamber, which is on Amazon. I recommend you watch that. Um, But Shin Godzilla... um, I mean, it's a Godzilla film, pure Godzilla film. It's everything I wanted um from the film. <laughs>
0: it really is. I um, really enjoyed it. I think people have said as a maligning of it, that it's like the thick of it does a Godzilla. Uh, uh, but no, but yeah. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Like, that's does correct. that sound like a problem? <laughs> it's got no. All the admin involved in a kaiju attack.
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, you know, if, if you're a fan of admin and government, <laughs> as but well also as massive <laughs> monsters, <giant> monsters <laughs> who look a bit silly to start with, but get increasingly cool. as the really film goes like I know you uh, Godzilla. I know you
0: do, but um, yes, good. Please see Shin Godzilla. It is a rollicking fun time. I'm going to do my third one, and if you don't want to do your third one, we'll just consider The Chamber your third one. (laughs) Yeah, do it. Yeah, do your third one. Uh, My third one is, uh, Sam again came to this with me, and uh, is it fair to say you weren't as keen on it as me?
1: It's not that. It it was more that, um, and like it, it definitely stayed with me, but it was more that I was fascinated that it was your specific choice.
0: Okay, so the scenario with this situation was that some very, very kind friends um DCP'd this for me so that we could watch this specifically uh on the big screen as part of my birthday week, which is was very, very generous of them. And um and I think Sam was a bit like, Why would you choose this? On on your birthday. <laughs> yeah, I see now the thing is I on the best I, day. I bloody love a bit of misery. Yeah. Like I like depressing Wretched films. I mean, so do I. I really
1: do. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is about it that caught me off guard. But But why it is. Don't you but, tell it is but
0: I think the, the thing about it is that it's not miserable in in like a sort of it, it. It juxtaposes like the bright outlook of most of society against how like dark and bad society can get. You've got to tell and them that what it juxtaposition. is. Juxtaposition. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and that juxtaposition is what makes it feel so uncomfortable. Um, it's called the Todd Killings. Um, directed by Barry Shear, uh, who did Across uh, 110th Street, it's like one of the best black exploitation movies. Yeah, but um, it's uh, it's a fictionalized account of a true story um, of a of a thrill killer from the sixties called Charles Schmidt, who was known as the Pied Piper of Tucson. And it's um, it's essentially about like this charming, slightly older guy in a in a teen social circle who can. Just kill with impunity, and and no matter how like evil he is, um, all of the other kids just like stick with him and back him up, and and won't turn to the police about him. And like when the police are questioning him, they're they're all uh, very resistant to the police's uh, lines of questioning. It's yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, it's not available like in stock anywhere, but Warner in the states run a service where anything that's in their archive can be ordered specially printed to disc so you can buy it from the warner brothers us website um and they'll they'll master the disc specifically for you on request um and this was the first time i'd seen a good quality print of it Mm. it was always like an old ropey bootleg copy i'd seen before like a like a vhs thing um because that was the only way it was available but now yeah i've got this um this warner brothers disc and it's great it's really nice and that actually leads us very nicely into extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features.
1: Um, because I put a shout out onto Twitter um, to ask for people's thoughts about Donnie Darko. And uh, one of those, uh, I felt kind of linked a little bit to what one of the things you like about talk Killing. So um, it's from D, just D, uh, DC Masson. Um Best Family Dynamics and Biting Commentary on Overprotecting Teens Policing Society. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of, it was a little bit resonant of Todd Killings. Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. The, the generation, the sort of different approaches to um, parenting. Yeah. It's the same in Todd Killings as it is there's, in Donnie Dark. There's an
0: amazing bit in Todd Killings where one of the mothers asks one of the kids, uh, have you been smoking marijuana? Uh, and he laughs at her use of the proper term. And he says, I, I haven't heard that word in 10 years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, that's a great point about Donnie Darko. Another great point about Donnie Darko comes from Michael Munster, Out um, to the movie, Mike. Uh, felt like the first of its kind to evoke eighty Spielberg, Stephen King nostalgia, which is so prevalent right now. Obviously, we talked about that in the main yeah, podcast, point. but that is um, something that I've uh, felt as well. Um, we've got one from Dan Dalton, who is an author. And uh, he says, I like Donnie Darko. Please say this. (laughs) So I've done that. Um, You get that because your name's Dan. And then uh, Jonathan Dean, who's another author, said, I like Donnie Darko too. And then Dan said, Please say this also. So <laughs> I have, I've done that, guys. You've done your duty. I've done my duty. What else have we got here? Um, TNM Addict says one of the best films ever made with an equally incredible score. Actually, we haven't really talked about the score. We talked about the soundtrack. Well,
0: ta- well, yeah. Oh, the, the score's beautiful. Yeah, the yeah, score it's really
1: nice. is stunning. It's
0: kind of. Um, I mean, it feels kind of bad Lamentian, doesn't it? Like Twin peaks almost in places.
1: What's in the Fourth Dimension um, kind of reminded me of the Candyman soundtrack.
0: Yeah, there's some glassy stuff in there as well. Yeah, really Philip glassy stuff. I was listening um, to the Candyman soundtrack on full blast with my windows down on the drive back from work the other day amazing. and the people of Croydon thought I was weird. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, um, the, the score is so good
1: that, um, uh, just to go back to Lucy one last time, um, I made <laughs> I made a mix CD um, which had stuff that was popular and cooler at the time like um, NYC by Interpol and uh, I think The Lioness by Songs Are Higher but I, I don't know I, what either of those two songs are they're very good um, it, it might have been Goodnight Lover by Songs Are Higher but anyway um, <laughs> I, I, I split them up by putting in the Donnie Darko score and it works perfectly oh nice it's, uh, it's, it's a lovely score is Lucy score. dead? Lucy's not dead um, <laughs> though I highly doubt she's listening to this but <laughs> if you are Lucy I would I would marry you tomorrow right oh, lord <laughs> Um, one more tweet. This is actually one that I got in a DM, um, but it is amazing. So, A.M. Novak says, Donnie Darko is, for me, a surreal study of youth isolation. Donnie is a distant, hostile outsider, both at school and at home. As someone who knew lots of people but never fell in with any clique at school, I appreciated the double-edged depiction of teenage life as fascinating and disturbing. That could have gotten lost among the falling jet engine and giant bunny spectre, but Kelly kept the psychological underpinnings front and centre. It made for a memorable, bizarre story that remains a favourite for me over a decade later. That's,
0: that's a, a lovely, wonderful. lovely insight. That's re- and, and personal too, so that's really nice. Um, and
1: uh, let's do one more I'm from Charlotte Steer. Wonderfully weird and nostalgic ahead of the trend. Made me open about my love of Tears for Fears. Watched it every weekend for a while, as did I. It was
0: definitely a revisit, wasn't it? It was another one that I got from one of those little back rooms in in Chinatown uh, on an American disc. That was, uh, yeah, we just put it on again and again. I ran a a sort of film club in a a bar called the North Pole in Winchester, (laughs) Um, and it was one of the ones I played there. We had no (laughs) licence. But it was all discs I'd got early. Amazing. <laughs> and um, very quickly, just two,
1: a couple more of these because we got so many really good ones. Um, Paddy Purdue says, one of the better teen-slash-time-travel-slash-apocalyptic movies out there.
0: Is, it, it's quite funny. is he saying it's one of the best ones that combines all of those? Yeah, or is it one is. of the best of each of those? I think,
1: uh, that combines all of those because right. there is a laughy, smiley face yeah, um, okay. to suggest that that's quite a niche. Um, and then finally, Adam Carroll says, incredible movie with a phenomenal soundtrack i can't really say that word i don't know why i went for soundtrack that or phenomenal phenomenal
0: that was fine
1: that's fine yeah, good you did well
0: right a bit of arrow news before we wrap up
1: yeah well we haven't got an interview this week have we no no interview
0: no so. we basically we missed out we had to we ran long last last time and we had to miss out all of your lovely tweets so we thought we'd give them extra service this, exactly this time yeah. can i read out one more
1: tweet oh go on i've just realized no, just there's another, an, one. There's another really good one another um one. So uh, it's a triple tweet from uh, Kit Kat, um, Kitty 72 who says, Love Donnie Darko so much I saw it 12 times in the cinema, which uh, I think deserves to be read out, and used to have a cat called Sparkle Motion. Loved the sense (laughs) of strangeness in Donnie and the dreamlike quality of it all, i.e. one of the dilemmas in that awful class was about finding a wallet. Later Donnie does just that, with life-changing consequences for many of the characters. And are you aware that the drug Donnie takes for his mental health is a placebo? These are all great points.
0: Those are great points. I knew the wallet thing. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that the drug was a placebo. I really hope that at some point she had to go away for a weekend, ask her mother to feed the cat. The mother said she was kind of busy and she said, I'm beginning to doubt your commitment to spark emotion." motion. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. That's amazing. Right. <laughs> what, what else have we got in the... Sorry. Yeah, just some fun stuff coming up. Obviously, the villainess, which we talked about. Um... Uh, coming up at Fright Fest, which was one of my recommends from last time, um, I've now got the actual release date for it on Blu-ray, uh, which is the 30th of October, um, the 10th, 10th month, that's October. Can't that's that. correct. Yeah, go yeah.
1: 30th of October. And we're also going to be, um, introducing that film at Fright Fest. Yes, we next. are. So, um, that's been officially announced now and um, there may be more exciting things to be announced linked to that film but we will get to yeah, that in good, good. time
0: yeah um uh, other than that um sam you wanted to mention
1: yeah um in the sort of the the listings for upcoming arrow releases um we've got seiyun rising uh, which is uh five films by Sayun suzuki Um, who I mentioned last week. Um, So I'm incredibly excited. I had no idea that this was happening, but um, it's got, I think it's five films, The Boy Who Came Back, The Wind of Youth Group Crosses the Mountain Pass, Teenage Yakuza, The Incorrigible, and Born Under Crossed Stars. Yeah. What an amazing collection of uh, early movies. So, um yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely mention that closer to the time of release. I'm not sure when it's coming out yet. It's just uh, just in the just list been
0: announced. Of yeah, stuff that's happening.
1: Right, shall we wrap this wonderful wrap it up. wonderful podcast wrap up? It up like a present? Dan, please tell me how could I follow you on Twitter if I? I was so going to chose? say how could you
0: follow me in real life? Oh well, like just dark, around the house. Dark clothes, stick to the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> what is your Twitter, please? It's at thirteen finger FX. That's 1313, F I N G E R F for foxtrot X for X ray. Um, yeah, follow me there because I need your love. Yes, we all we all need your love.
1: I'm at Sam Ashurst. Um, which is S A M A S H U R S T. It's about and, the same as your um, name. You may tweet me compliments. You may tweet. That's because I got in there very early. So, early adopter. Yeah. Um, nice. But yeah, uh, do follow me. Um, you know, I, I would. Um, right,
0: <laughs> I'd follow me so hard. Yeah,
1: yeah. So um, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks. And we promise we'll be more professional next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
0: Bye.